0: Welcome to Video Game Bullshit! Alright
1: everybody, we're going to get started. Uh, Welcome to VGBS Live! Um, We are the Video Game BS Podcast. This is the Video Game Culture Chronicles 1990s. Uh What we're going to cover, just to do a little disclaimer, uh, we're going to let the conversation flow as the river goes. So we may not stick strictly to the year 1990, we'll hit everything we can go to, um, and in VGBS fashion, if anybody's ever listened to our podcast, we always get some special guests and we got somebody sitting here that wasn't on the panel thing, he's going to introduce himself in a minute. Um, For introductions, my name is Jeffrey Wittenhagen. Uh, I'm a published author, I published The Complete NES, and the Video Game Culture Chronicles book series that's on Patreon, people can subscribe, get some physical books based on retro gaming. Get your retro gaming needs, your fix. Um, I've also been on VGBS Podcast with uh, Kyle over here for a year. Uh, We cover everything within video games, and we definitely tell personal stories. Uh, we want to have maximum participation, so we have free games to give away and t-shirts to give away to anybody who participates. Uh, we got some gimme questions, they're real easy. Yeah. Real easy questions, and I want John White to heckle us. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Big JT, yes. Alright, so i hand it over to Kyle and do right. yourself. I'm
0: Kyle, uh, I've been doing no, no death runs, high score runs. For a number of years, uh, I've just been a gamer my whole life. Um, I can offer a perspective. I was born in 1983, so um, much like a lot of you, I uh, was born during that era. So uh, just uh, add in my perspective there.
2: And our special guest. Hi, I'm Martin Alessi. I've been a gamer since I was a very small child. And I had the fortune of getting a job at EGM when I was 16 years old. And I worked there for about five years and uh, through the 90s. And I get to play a lot of the greatest eight and 16-bit games
1: that we all love. Nice. So yeah, we have somebody here that was the editor-in-chief, senior editor editor of EGM during the 1990s. So, I mean, we have the subject matter expert with us today to answer and tell (laughs) some stories. That's what we're doing. We're just telling stories. Um, What I want to do, though, is I'm going to get started off with somebody to answer a question. Um, Alright, so name a game that was ported from an arcade game, and is completely different for the console version. We got one hand up. Alright, come up here. You gotta, you, you gotta get y'all out the microphone. What's your name? Matt. Matt. And what do you have for it? This is easy. Punch out. Punch out, correct! Alright, Kyle, grab the bag. <laughs>
0: He'll
1: be our panel white for the day. <laughs> You can hey, have a t shirt, game, whatever. We got her, he picked up a GameCube release. <laughs> Thanks, you're welcome, welcome. Alright, so, uh, so. So, games that were ported from the arcade and are extremely different, that's one that's really, really near and dear to my heart. One of my favorite games that was ported and it's 100% different, Double Dragon 2. yes. I love Double Dragon 2. Uh, Myself and Kyle, we've been playing forever. We're actually cousins. We've grown up together. That's how we started the VGBS podcast. Me and him, would get on the phone and BS on the phone for hours. We always said, like, why aren't we recording this? We're always going analytically deep into games. And when we would get together on the weekends, we would play Double Dragon 2. And we would be sitting here drinking our beer, And we would be setting, we'd set the world record, like, randomly all the time for cooperative Double Dragon 2. And we would go and do no death runs and all that stuff just because we played it so much through repetition. It was always a classic time. And the the best part was when we would sit there, and if you know Double Dragon 2 on the NES, how it's a little different from the arcade one, you do this special move called the Hyper Knee. And with the Hyper Knee, the enemies go flying, and the sound effect is like, wow! Wow! And Success. they go. The guys go flying, and, and myself and him had it down to a point where we could do multiple hyper knees in a row. So like the guys' the little chins with the sticks would flip, and we would like knee them in the air, and they go flying, and then they would get up, and then Kyle would knee him in the air back at me, and then they'd be we'd do that for like every single one. They wouldn't even stand a chance. And then we were over there laughing, going nuts, and like it's it's a hilarious game. Mm-hmm.
0: You got what do you, do you got? Double drag? Yeah, it? we always try to play that one whenever we get like together. So hopefully we'll try tonight for like a high score something, but um, yeah. Where, where are we doing
1: that tonight at, where at?
0: Nintendo the, Age. The Nintendo age room. <laughs> yeah, repetition though is the key. Absolutely, you know, absolutely. Like with the Castlevania, I was playing that all day, and eventually the levels, you know, it's just smooth, You can it's like a knife's butter eventually. Exactly. Because you know everything that's coming out. but as far as like the arcade conversions, the NES had so many of them. Yeah, like, yeah. Double Dragon, you know, even the first one. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many And they were completely different games That's kind of in their way
1: Swan Song 2, Contra mm-hmm.
0: yeah. amazing game And then those spun off like Super C and stuff So they spun off okay. other sequels So I think somebody
2: Yeah, i have to get into this conversation The mic up, oh yeah <laughs> Okay um, Yeah, Super C on the NES Was greatly different than this The arcade uh, version of it I actually, at one point in time, had the world record on Super Contra in the arcade. Um, I held it for about 15, maybe 17 years, and then uh, uh, Pete Hahn is uh, a good friend of mine. He took the record over at the Galvin Ghost Arcade. And uh, I think one of the biggest differences from Super C to the, the arcade version is the weapons would um, increase in power if you collected them more than once. And I really missed that in the NES version. Okay. That's
1: good. Yeah, one of the things with Super C to me that was really different was it's like the characters kinda jumped in an arc on the arcade. Right. Then you had the classic contra where you do the the roll in the air. I always felt it always felt more fluid to me on the NES, the NES version of Super C. It's always pretty cool. Of course we always collect the spread. I mean right. gotta, get, <laughs> gotta get the spread. <laughs> Alright, so the next question. Right here? Alright. Um let's see. Name an S N E S launch title that's not Super Mario World. Got one. Pilot
3: waves? There we
1: go. Yes. Pilot Waves.
3: That's like the oldest
1: thing. Pilot Waves. Pilot Waves. Correct. Okay. Come over and get up. <laughs> it's a treat. Take a take a bag over to him. All right. <laughs> so he said he said though, Pilot Wings is that the only game? Is it, the only? it is not. There was a bunch of games released. Some of the major ones you had was F Zero. F Zero was released. Uh, in in the Famicom land, they had SimCity released the same way, and ActRiser Right. The same year. Big Run. Jalico's big Run. Jellico's Big Run. Exactly. Um, there was a bunch of different games released, but Pilot Wings was the game that was synonymous with Super Mario World that first day. The thing that people get confused on and why they think there was only two games is because with the N sixty four, many years later, it was Mario sixty four and Pilot Wings sixty four. It was only two games. Yeah, true, and people get
0: confused. Yeah, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's yeah.
1: laugh. That um, so Super Nintendo, though. That was a system that was near and dear to my heart, and as I'm going through the Video Game Culture Chronicles, 1991 has the launch of the Super Nintendo, and... For me, like that was the first game system that I actually went and I had to work a part-time job to earn because it happened to fall in a time where my parents weren't going to buy me one for Christmas. So I was sitting there and I was saving up money so I could get the system. Now did I get it at launch? No. It it took me years to save up for the system. I think I ended up getting it with the Mario World, Mario All-Stars combination cartridge which was about four years after it was released. it took me to save up for the system. But during that time, I did what a lot of people did. I would go play it at neighbor's houses that would have all the systems. That would include like being able to play the the uh, TurboGrafx 16, the Neo Geo, all those systems that there's no way my parents are going to buy that for me. And I would go to their houses and play it, and it wet my whistle It made me want the systems even more. And I was sitting there saving up as much as I could as a kid. We were all terrible with money back in the day, but I made sure that I, you know, was able to get that system. And it was it was a big huge deal for me when I finally got my Super Nintendo. And uh
0: yeah, the other big thing is going to their houses because you didn't really know what all the games looked like as far as the gameplay goes. Yeah. I mean, you you had you couldn't look it up on YouTube, you couldn't Google it. You had if you had online, you had what AOL and Prodigy, maybe. So you had some dial still. up. Yeah. <laughs> so you had like still images. You, you couldn't have any video, you know. So it's yeah, yeah. so when you went to the rental stores too, you know, you didn't know you had just a screenshot to it off. Exactly. Now the one cool thing was we did have the magazines. And the magazines were the things that you could pick up and say, you know. Exactly. This, someone's writing a review on it, okay, I get it a little bit. Yeah, bad. like
1: like for me it was like going to the schoolhouse and talking with other kids that might have got, found the warp whistles in Mario 3 and myself, as well as like the magazines when you had at the Counselors Court and Nintendo Power and all the hints and tricks areas and classified information and all those things as well. The infamous 2CX sessions and all that stuff, or an EGM side too. Because, like, EGM was your way to get your non-Nintendo fix. Nintendo Power had, like, a pigeonhole on subscriptions in my area. Yeah. Right. But, like, the guys who went on EGM, that's when you got your Sega Genesis. You knew about what Genesis does with Nintendo. I mean, those are the classic times. So.
0: So, tell us the story of when you started. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Let's just say I was green. Uh, when I got the EGM job, it was... It was luck, and um, my uh, in 1991, I think it was, Super Famicom was released in Japan, and I didn't get... I got the Super Famicom. I never got a Super Nintendo until years later, but it's an interesting story. I bought my Super Famicom in Japan, and it was my first plane trip ever. I was only 18 years old, and I'd never been on a plane before. So that was a, a little interesting, and uh, we went to uh, Shinjuku, I think that's how you say it, Shinjuku. Shinjuku, and uh, went to a, it was like a paradise, because it was everything that we had, you know, I was a part of the magazine, and Ed would go on trips to Japan, at Simrad, and uh so, I would read about this stuff, and, and we had copies of the games at the office. But to actually be in Japan during the 8 and 16 bit era was, you know, that was a real treat. So, I, I bought my Super Famicom <laughs> in Japan. I stood in line and bought it in Japan, and I picked up, you know, uh, Super Mario World, uh, Pilot Wings, and Big Run, which was just a terrible game. <laughs> and, uh,. And then I came home, and that was the envy of all my friends. Nice. Yeah. You know? So that's
1: pretty cool that you were able to pick up the Super Famicom before it was released. And that was the second run you were talking about, 1991, with the Super Famicom coming out. Because even in Japan, it was sold out during the late 1990 release when it came out. Okay. It was super late 90. But, like, the Christmas Rush, they actually um, closed down and limited console releases to a weekend because kids all skipped school to go to the Super Famicom release back in 1990. So it was that popular. So yeah, by the time 1991 hit, you were able to get a copy finally when you went over there because they finally had it in stock in stores. Like, craziness though. So there's one thing Kyle said that leads into our next question. Uh, This one isn't just one answer. I want to hear a little bit of substance for whomever answers this. Um, Name a game that you were tricked by from the box art. Because Kyle was mentioning that some of the box art, you would have to gauge your purchases based on going to a store. So what I want to hear is somebody who went to a store, bought a game from a box art, come on up, um, bought a game from the box art and was completely tricked. I want to hear why though, because these are, these are the glory days right here. Oh man. Alright. Alright, what's your name? Tushar. Uh, Tushar. Alright, what is your game? Uh, it was Neon Genesis Evangelion for the Nintendo 64. I picked it up I was a kid I couldn't understand the word of it because it was all in Japanese but it doesn't say it doesn't say that on the of the box on me right? yeah so, so it wasn't even translated. wow you might to look on the back, but they didn't have that on the display or anything okay, and they just wanted to move it so that's awesome though so it was like N64 style still got to see from Nintendo yeah. yeah that's awesome we'll go ahead and go into the bag of tricks, we'll of- tricks. Kyle that's <laughs> yeah. excellent so One of the main games that fooled me, there's a million games that were so terrible. One of them that really, really sticks out, Phalanx on the Super Nintendo, Phalanx, Phalanx. where it has the old man playing a banjo on the front cover, and the game is a bullet hell shoot-em-up. And the irony is, you see a bullet hell shoot-em-up, you think it's cool. But the irony is, is that it's actually, Phalanx is actually like a, kind of a mediocre one. It's not even that good of a Bullet shoot-em-up. It's nowhere near like a Spriggan on the PC Engine or like a, a classic shoot up Lords of Thunder on Sega CD and PC Engine. Like, like there's some really good games, and you see Phalanx and you see this old man playing a banjo, and you're like, what is this? Why would I pick that up? I mean, and that goes to one though, that game's not as bad
0: though as some of the games
1: that are on.
0: Yeah. Highlight Hide, comes to, to mind. <laughs> highlight. That was one of the comics. I always thought that was great coverage. Deadly Towers is another one. It's just like man. Well, just,
1: you always got it with the the medieval style games. Right. You love
0: that stuff, yeah, right? yeah. It's kind of like man. That's not really what I expected. You <laughs> know, those uh, games have mediocre gameplay. Ooh, we have a highlight story. Uh,
2: yes. <laughs> hide-like. <laughs> hide-like. I'm close. All right. Well. <laughs> Before I worked at EGM, I worked for FCI, the publisher of Highline. Life, and I worked on the tip line answering questions on how to beat the game. I'm sorry. <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that was that was those were fun times, and uh, I have not played the game since then. I'll, I'll tell you that. At the be so, so were, were there any other box yeah. arts that for you? For me, uh, okay. Uh, Okay, this is kind of a reverse situation. Okay. Most awful box art that I've ever purchased is probably the first Mega Man, but the game was solid. Yeah. So the box art was terrible, the marketing on it was terrible, That's another thing. but the game was Handed. great. Mm-hmm. Got one? We got another one
1: up in the, in the in the audience, and if you have a story, feel free to chime in. You can get some free swag. All right, so what's your game, man? What's your name Bruce? My name is Pietro. All right.
3: And uh, this one's a little bit embarrassing, but there's a game for the Nintendo DS called Field the Magic, which is essentially a group of mini games but the box art is a lady in a bikini. So 13-year-old me waltzed the GameStop on this game with a bikini on the front. It was only 18, and I said, finally! I picked it up, and it was a bunch of Wario games. so that was very disappointing.
0: Really.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it still got you. That's yeah. awesome. That was a good, good one. one. If anyone has any stories, just throw a hand up, you and you prize. come over here. Hey, hey, Pedro, come over here and get a, get a, get a, get a game or a, a shirt or something, man. It's classic stuff, though. All right, so go ahead, Cop. Yeah, and Mega okay. Man
0: was great, but Mega Man Two also was very bizarre.
1: Yeah, it was like it was like they um, it was like they gave the artists the freedom to do whatever they want. They said, "Hey, there's this game about a, a robot cop that's going to be fighting off robots or something." And then they drew Mega Man with the little gun on the first one, and then the second one they still didn't get it right. It's like they had a guy who never played a video game in his life. He's just a good artist and started drawing for it. It classic. Yeah. All right. So, um, go to this one.
0: Share your first gaming story.
1: So, so share your first time that you played a video game when video games connected with you. Just want a story here. Then that no question, just a story. Anybody have anything? Get some free swag. No? I can go into mine. All right. So. Video games started off with me. I actually had an Atari 2600 handed over for my brother and my sister. Um, Had Pitfall on it, Pole Position, um, all those classics. We actually had an Atari Super Pong in my household too. And we went over to the Commodore 64 as well. My brother actually saved up half for the computer. And then my parents paid for the other half, because he got it for educational uses, right, because the Commodore was an educational machine, and we just played games on it tons. Uh, that's when the first time when you saw the emulation and bootlegging scenes start. But somehow, without the internet, we had hundreds and hundreds of copies of games. For the Commodore 64 in my household. I don't know how that happened. Like, that, that trading scene must have been insane to reach Hodunk, Indiana, where I'm from originally. And they had, like, a bunch of different versions. I think we owned three actual Commodore games, yet we had a big case filled with them. And it's insane because now I go and I collect the box Boxstar versions of the Commodore games because they're awesome, the big boxes and everything, they're great. Hard and they're super hard to find too now for the Commodore versions because it's hard to find PC boxes now. Yeah. The right. P- Commodore ones are crazy. But like as I grew up, my first system that I got as a, as a kid from, as a gift was the NES. Right. And I got a hand-me-down NES from my sister who didn't play it. And I, and I got it with Ghost and Goblins. T- TNC Surf Designs and Mario.com and that always runs TNC. rapid and that's why my first book was the complete NES because I collect the NES that's why I'm a part of Nintendo age as my most nostalgia is for the Nintendo even though I play all video games Nintendo is what strikes with me I mean, that's always been what it is. And I started in 1990 for my Culture Chronicles because that's when I really started to come of age as a gamer. I started to get pretty good at games, started to play them, started to rent them more, having those stories of Mario 3 and all the different shows that came out that corresponded. That's what really hit me with gamer stories, man. But, like, that's me, so what are, What are yours, Kyle? And and if anybody has a story, raise your hand up through this, And or we got one. We'll get in first, Kyle. Sorry. All right, what's your name? Uh, my name is Seth. All right. All right, so, uh, it's only
3: console, but I had an old uh, ERS game. Mm-hmm. And I was a kid, I was five years old. Nice. There was nice. a game called football. And sometimes, like, winning when I was a kid, and I would always play two-player with myself only. And what you do is you take the offensive and defensive play. Well, I knew the combination of offense and defense to make the offense fumble every time or to get a touchdown every time is the offense. So I want to do that over and over and over again because I like winning. Yeah, you. And then and eventually I moved into NES my grandma had a couple my parents loved it. But yeah, Going so I said, TRS-80 football
2: and cheating.
1: There's always something about when you play a game and you make it do something that's not supposed to do. Like when you're playing Mario Brothers and yeah. you jump over like World 1-2 over, the, you get to that world so It doesn't feel like you're supposed to do that. It feels like you're kind of hacking. Later on they have the Minus World and all of that too. But it's like it was always fun to hack around and do stuff that you're not really That's awesome. Curious, that Go ahead and grab it. Kyle's back. of oh, swag. Sure. Yeah,
0: Go ahead, Kyle. What's your gaming story? What? You also mentioned shows, video game shows, like uh, Captain N, but you also have the Power Team. Captain <laughs> N? The game. The, the game Power games. Team! Yeah. The cool thing about the Power Team, though, is you have that footage at the end where they show the hints and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's that that sacred footage. Yes. Because you would, you know, like you were saying, save up, spend 50 bucks, and then you find out that this game, you know, isn't so good. Does anybody here know what the Power Team is?
1: No, we got a couple no's. So the power team was a acclaimed knockoff of Captain N the Game Master. Everybody knows Captain N with all the Nintendo characters. The acclaimed version, you had Bigfoot in there. You had curls from Wizards and Warriors. You had Quirk from from the Game Boy version. The irony was is you had um, the guy from Video Power. it was Johnny Johnny Arcade. Arcade. He's sitting there playing the Nintendo and all these characters come out of this NES and Quirk who's a Game Boy handle game came out of the NES as well. It was like little little like hints there like little errors right back in the day. Um, You also had Tyrone from Double Dribble in that one too. Um, I think there was one more character he was from one of the NARC. One uh, yeah. of the guys from NARC as well. Mr. Big was one of the Yeah, Dark, Mr. Big was one of the bad guys. And actually right after us, we're going to have Eugene Jarvis. He did NARC. So that's a, yeah. that's a classical yeah. segue right there. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, the power team was classic. Let's talk about the
0: Yeah, so and then you had like the, the rentals. Um, so when I started, I got it about a year later than most people did. Um, and... From that point, my dad who actually was a social studies teacher, he would, would, his students would tell him, you know, you gotta get Contra, you gotta get Final Fantasy, so that was cool, he would come home and kind of give me the scoop on what was the good game, and that's kind of the thing with the Reynolds too, where our analytical minds really went to work, where um, with the certain Reynolds, why are they out every single week? Why is Contra never in, you know?
1: It makes you want it more. It makes you want that game more. When you when you see Contra and you can't have it. Or Mario 2, which we couldn't find at the store, Super Mario Bros. 2, and it's never that was, in.
0: That was so hard to find. Super
1: Mario 2 was actually hard to find back in the day, and that's when you knew, when you saw so many copies of Mario 3, that it was a great game. You never saw Mario 2. <laughs> yeah. was that that
0: kind of
2: party? I have to say, Pitfall 2 on the Atari 2600 was the first platforming game that I really fell in love with. It was very advanced for the hardware. And that was a style of game that I, I really have loved since I was a child. So when I went into the arcade and I played versus Super Mario Brothers, that just it hit a nerve with me. I, I fell in love with that game and didn't know there wasn't any NES. I was just walking through Toys R Us with my father one day. We were looking for Star Wars figures, and uh, basically, I I saw the NES and I saw that the control deck just had the, the controllers, the deck, and then Super Mario Brothers. And I just I had to have it, and he couldn't he couldn't get it for me at, at that exact time. But man, Christmas came that year, and I got the NES control deck. I still have it. I still have it in the box with the manual and everything. So that was uh, that had a huge impact on me when I was uh, younger, and I did a uh, when I was sixth or seventh grade, I did a fanzine called uh, the Elite Players Club, and it was uh, myself, Ray Price, who I ended up getting a job at EGM, and then Paul Jada, who also I got a job at EGM later and later once I was established there, and uh, basically. I did this little fanzine on a uh, typewriter and I would photocopy it. And I had a friend who was Japanese and he used to get Famitsu. So I would get photocopies of games and scoop the US magazines in my little fanzine. And so when I went to, when I met the publishers of EGM and I showed them my little fanzine, they're like, you have games in your magazine, we don't have in our magazine yet. And that's how I pretty much got my equipment there.
1: Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So you are your foot in the door because you are—they already knew that you knew what you're talking about with games because you were already doing it as a hobbyist,
2: right? And I, you know, I was only 16. So if anyone's out there with with the internet and social media, you can do it. You can be a part of video game journalism, and you can, you know, you can establish yourself by reporting on stuff and being unique. And you know, right now, YouTube channels are the are the big thing for the youth, you know. So I mean. I it, this was 25 years ago, and you know I was young, and I was able to, more than 25 years ago. <laughs> but uh, if you're if you're a young person and you really love video games, you can get into the business. There are more avenues now than there, there are more avenues now than there were back when I was a kid.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I took a, I wanted a Nintendo collector's guide that had that had uh, pictures in it. That way, it's visually appealing to myself. I took it to Kickstarter And that became successful And that's how This whole thing Spitballed out of control Like I was here Two years ago Just drinking with The rest of the NA guys Over in the Over in the NA room That's what I was doing Now I'm drinking With the NA guys In the NA room and still But I go over here And just do a panel too And, and talk about stories I mean that like and we do the whole podcast thing, and it all just spitballs out of control. And it's just like all you have to do is have the passion and put forth some time. Now, was it hard? Yeah, it's hard to do because I mean I'm sitting there spending my time. I spend my time with my family after my job, and then I edit till midnight or one a.m. and I wake up and do work again. I mean that's what you do though when you're passionate about something you want to make it happen. I mean, it's, it's craziness, man, craziness. But that's awesome that you were able to start so such from a grassroots perspective. That's really really cool. Um, let's see here, so, the next question, name four suits from Super Mario Brothers 3. I wanna hear four, it's an easy question. Four suits from Mario 3. Does anybody know suits from Super Mario Brothers 3? Come on up. Come on, Matt.
2: Come on
1: up. Go ahead. Hey, if nobody's coming up, come on
3: up. I waited. Hey, we got the Tanuki suit. Yep. Then we got the raccoon suit. Uh, The uh oh the shoe the The shoe. What's the shoe called? The boots, Karibo's boots, and then my personal favorite, the Hammer Brothers shoe.
1: Even obscure with Karibo. Yeah, that was too. pretty, pretty nice. Was second, that was oh, nice. Second that was item, great. that was good. Yes, yeah, you also have the frog suit, right? Yeah, the firefly. Yeah, oh. yeah. So there was actually six. I was only going to go with five. You want to get something else? Yeah, absolutely. Again, that was a good answer. So, so, Mario Brothers three. That's what we're set going into this one. There we go. Obviously, that's the cover of the Video Game Culture Chronicles. My buddy drew that. I keep that as a local artist. But Mario 3 was the game when I feel like Nintendo hit the map officially on a Pepsi level, Michael Jordan level. Like, they hit worldwide status that point. That also led in with the movie that was essentially a giant commercial for Nintendo, The Wizard. Um, In 1990, Wizard came to VHS, but 1989 led up to the Nintendo World Championship, ships tournament as well. It spitballed out of control. That's what they did. And, like, Super Mario 3, though, I just remember the first time I watched The Wizard on VHS, because I didn't get to go do it in the theaters like everybody else. And I watched it, and I was so confused, because I'm like, how is this kid, Lucas, playing the Nintendo... And he's able to find these warp whistles the first time he plays it. I'm like, I found out through I think it was like somebody on it was somebody on the uh, like schoolhouse said, hey, all you gotta do is duck on the white block and you can fall through it and run it in and get a get a wizard, get one of the warp whistles. Um, the the craziest thing that I found out on my own though through the warp whistles. I found out that if you use a warp whistle on the warp whistle screen, you go right down to World 8. And I didn't know that back in the day. So if you collect two warp whistles in World 1, you use a warp whistle, and you use another one on the warp whistle screen, you drift right down to the final level, and that's how you can speed run through the game, being the cheating person. So that's it's hilarious, and is the Mario 3 is, is
0: the epitome of crazy.
2: Mario 3 actually came out, I think, before I got the job at EGF. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Mar- Mario 3 was released in 1990.
2: 1990, so I was already there. Yep. Okay, um... In Japan, of course, that's of the game I school, in my fantasy, oh, Mario 3 was Mario 3. Oh, cool. Yeah, I was, um... Yeah, yeah it was way earlier. Yeah. Um, i trying to think of
0: this. You got some, okay? You got some? Yeah, that was one that, like, everybody, everybody had. But what, what was great was it was so hard to find Mario 2 that I think they ordered so many more yeah. extras yeah. that they had time to restore. I couldn't believe it still when I was driving home. I was like, I got me, got me a copy. And it was one game that everyone knew was good, and uh, it, it also spurred on, like, a lot of other... Uh, really, games with like bigger sprites and uh, really, really colorful. You know, like your your Jackie Chan, like you know awesome stuff like that. You Wacky know, races, you know, those kind of things. Yes, <laughs> come on up. Alright,
3: wow, here's the story. Can't, you can't, for, my name's Tony, can't forget uh, about the Epic commercial that came out for it, where everybody's shouting Mario. Oh. Oh. Right, before the time of internet, that was the hype train. Uh, so
1: the whole world Mario on it, like, That's somehow, weird. the entire
0: country. So so right. So right. And, or, yeah.
3: This was well before the internet, of course, kicked things off, and that was that was the biggest thing that I really knew uh, along with Wizard, I never got to see it when it originally came out, but
1: that commercial little me. of the game, so, yeah, yeah. But they were able to build that game off like it was the biggest thing ever, and it was, it was an awesome game. Still, a lot of people's favorite game of all time. That Mario World, they don't a lot with the, with the platformers. It's, it's pretty crazy, though, really. So, um, yeah. So what we'll do is we'll go with another one. You got a Mario Three Story, Mario. Um... Got none yet? That's
2: okay.
1: Yet. Not an issue. Let me think Not about an issue. <laughs> <yeah. laughs> Alright. Here's a good one. Alright, we're gonna talk about Nintendo. Let's switch gears. What was the first pack-in title for the Sega Genesis console? We got one back here. Come on up. Come on up. You
0: gotta
1: come on up. <laughs> see if he has it. Yes, sir. Uh, <laughs>
2: Yeah. I don't want to hit the reverb. There you go.
3: I believe that was Altered Beast. You are correct, sir. Go ahead and grab some swag. The porter
1: guy knows this kind of stuff. So yeah, Altered Beast was the first pack, and it's so ironic. A lot of people consider the Genesis synonymous with Sonic the Hedgehog. Stop the Hedgehog actually wasn't released until nineteen ninety one, a couple years after the Second Genesis came out. It's pretty crazy when you think about it. Like, Altered Beast um, was wasn't really. If you play it right now, it's not that great of a game to play all the time, over and over and over and over again. Why, zombie <laughs> Yes. But yeah, that was the thing, though, was that like I remember with Altered Beast. Um, my parents used to go bowling back in the day, and we would go to the bowling alley, and they would set me with a couple quarters, let me go play arcade games. And Vulture Beast was there, and I always remember like the guy over there was like, saw your and they would like, you know what I mean, like your soul is mine, yeah. and like when you would fight them. And I remember with the arcade version, all the voiceovers, and the Genesis did a decent job at translating those voiceovers in the digitalized, consoleized version. Oh yeah, it was, It sure. was really good. Yeah. The irony was, is you play some of the other ports now, like the Famicom port, and they're, oh my goodness, they're bad. Yeah. Really bad. But yeah, I used to play it though all the time. So when I saw the Sega Genesis had Altered Beasts, I always saw it. I thought it was really cool. That was one of those games though I would play the Sega Genesis at my neighbor's house. So I always got my fix. And it wasn't that good of a game like I needed to have it like Mario World or something like that. When I was saving up for the Super Nintendo. It wasn't enough to veer me off and spend my money buying my Genesis. But like I really, really liked... The, the game Altered Beast, and now I go to play it, and it doesn't get my attention as much as the, as all the other games do. Yes. It doesn't hold up as well. Which one? Oh, yeah, as,
0: as far as the Altered Beast, right, because there's kind of, when you're a kid, since the game has has that gimmick of your guy, you know, gets like this big on, like, steroids style, and you finally turn into the beast. Oh, yeah. So it, it's got a cool gimmick. Um, I think even in the first level, and even. the the last level and next to last level, they almost repeat the same guy. I was kind of like, "Oh, well, you should have come up with something new on that." But um, yeah, it's just one of those gimmicky things that's fun. But when you look back on it, it's limited it's to know how deep you can get on it. But yeah, it was a super important time. And as far as all of these things, yeah. When I, I actually saved up for my
2: Genesis and bought it, I launched Genesis when it came out. And to me, Altered Beast was just a bonus. I liked the game, but it wasn't that phenomenal of a game. I really bought the Justice for Thunder Force 2. Hell yeah. Yes! Thunder Force 2, when I saw that game, I just had to have it. it. It was the first time, like, an arcade game was available at home. An arcade-style game it was available at home, in my opinion. And then, Cools and Ghosts, of course, was another phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal game. Yeah,
0: Ghouls Ghouls and Ghosts was interesting because that was different on every console. Yes. Except for the Super Graphics was Fools and Ghosts, yeah. Super Graphics was extremely faithful, but the
1: Master System port for Fools and Ghosts, yeah, we got to that. Yeah, so the Master System port of Fools and Ghosts was different than all the other versions because as you went through Fools and Ghosts, you would be able to collect upgrades to your armor, and then the, the green armor, right? When you would go through the arcade version and Super Graphics transfer that to Genesis version, the Master System version had a separate way to charge your shots. And it was a red armor. It was completely different how the whole thing works with all the other games. So that game is almost like a fourth version. The Super Ghouls and Ghosts was another different game. Right. And then later they did Ultimate Ghouls and Ghosts. That's another different game. But like the Super Ghouls and the Ghouls and Ghosts on the Master System was like its own little property, even though level by level That's one of those things where when people would port a game to different consoles, you would get developers that would put their own spin on things. So when people would do ports, it's a pretty cool thing. And it's actually something that happens now with people releasing homebrews and things for like current old consoles, putting out new games. You have people that are porting old versions, like a Frogger or Leisure Leadership Larry, like from what certain people put out, um, and like Sokuban, like box pusher games, they put like different spins on old, tired properties and make them interesting and give them the stories and stuff, and that's what some of those developers back in the day would do as well, and the irony was back in the day, because of the box art, we just thought it was ghouls and ghosts. That's what we thought it was. It was just ghouls and ghosts. And then you don't realize until later, now when you watch YouTube videos with reviews and things, that, oh, wait, this one's a completely different experience than playing the arcade. It's a really cool aspect to the whole gaming whole gaming collecting scene and everything, and it gives it a different reason to have the Master System version, even if you
0: have the Genesis version. So they're all pretty valuable, too, so they've been well. But they're all great games. Alright, next question.
1: Alright, so name a game based on a license that is actually good. Any license that's good. And explain why. <laughs> Eric, come on over. You can tell it. Tell your story, man. I love it. Willow's a good game. Alright, so, name.
3: So, my name is Brian Douglas. So, the reason that the Willow game was one of the few that actually had some depth. To it, uh, you know, we all know most franchise games, movie franchise games, are terrible. Willow was actually a proper RPG in the sense that you just you could play through it. There were a lot of different places to go, a lot of different environments. The character
0: development was pretty interesting. Actually, the gameplay in and of itself was fun. I remember my folks renting it from the video store for me, and I kept it for a solid two weeks, and
3: pulled them that I returned it and ran with a huge late bill. And. Uh, I hadn't uh, thought about the fact that they could just have bought it for me bought it for me for a lot less than what we paid in late rental fees. So, just a good game. The graphics were pretty solid too. For an S game, it was pretty solid. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. How would you compare the Willow Nintendo game to the
0: movie Willow? The game is better than the movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's just me, though. I almost awesome. think
1: that that's a movie now that's like cheesy, bad but it's good. Uh, uh, early role for Kevin uh,
2: Spacier? No, no, no,
1: Kevin Pollock. Kevin Pollock, right, cause I met him
2: at the doctor, who did I so, yes, thank you so much for having I'm two over one. here drinking a 16-bit double on the podcast. They gave me water, and
1: I had <laughs> <through> a <laughs> That's what we
0: did. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks for about that. Yeah. yeah. Really good yeah. Good yeah. Um, so, one of my
1: favorite uh, games, and actually licensed games uh, are synonymous with being bad. However, when I think good licensed games, I think Disney on uh, the NES. I mean, every, some of the best games that are released on the NES are released well, by Capcom the and the Disney games. So you had DuckTales, you had Rescue Rangers. You had so many good classics that were released. They had really good gameplay. You had good graphics. You had the music was stellar on those games. I was gonna say eleven for the eleven for the Giants. Absolutely. Yeah, that's for the Genesis. And, the other one. and, one. One. and even you the Lion King, 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 King as well, Super NES and Genesis, was a stellar port. Um, and it was, it, they were decent. They, they started to get a little bit off track, I feel, in the 16 bit when they started to hit some of the other, like, the Bonkers game, Marsupolami, some of the random Disney Afternoon cartoons that we, did, we stopped watching it by that point. Um, but, like, there were so many good games released by Capcom on the
0: NES. It was, like, ridiculousness. Yeah, they, they never seem to miss One thing about Capcom, though, is Strider is kind of unforgivable with the wishiness. And I actually love that game as much as I can, but it's it's almost like I can't believe that they just let that stand like that. I got a decent segue. So, so
1: Strider, we actually did as a BGBS homework. So on our podcast, we have certain episodes that we dedicate to a homework. So we'll play a game for an entire month, try to beat it, and Strider was one of those games. I have never played through NES Strider up to that point. I've only played the arcade. And we're playing this, it's a completely different game. And we're sitting there glitching things out to actually progress in the level. Because certain enemies would respawn at inopportune times and wouldn't open up a door that we needed to get through to get through the level. And it was one of those crazy things Like I actually realized that I didn't really care for that game that much after putting that much time into it. It's pretty cool to pick up and play for like a 15 minute, 30 minute playthrough. But like, when you sit there and try to grind through the game, it gets a little painful. And I think one of our next homework assignments. Before we do Gremlins 2 on the NES? Oh, yeah. yeah, we got a Gremlins yeah. 2 episode. What we try to do is we try to hit something that's awesome. You got you got something? Oh, Gremlins 2, yeah. That's a great game, and that's based on the license as well. Some of the isometric platformers is a little suspect, it's a little bit frustrating at times trying to do because they have moving in, platforms yeah. over a black, like hole abyss, and you couldn't really judge your depth as you would jump. But it was really cool to play though. I enjoyed it and that'll be episode 41, 42 up on the podcast. So something up there. Yeah.
2: Glenn Martin? I'm gonna have to go with Batman for the NES. Batman for some the NES! NES. Yeah, that, that was the first uh, licensed game that I really, really liked. Thought captured the feel of the movie. Uh, interesting story. The the original version of it had artwork uh, that was based on the comic book. And then they switched out the graphics uh, with uh, digitized graphics from the movie later. So the one we played at at the GM office was actually more based on the comic book. And I think there's a ROM floating around of of that prototype. Really? Yeah. That's pretty cool. So there's a prototype of the original graphics
1: for Batman floating around. I don't think I've played that one. That'll be interesting to hunt down and see. That's really cool. All right, we got a story. My name is Robin Paul.
3: Uh, I'm, I'm drinking some blue moon that somebody gave to me because, I mean, otherwise I should probably do something else. Uh, but anyway, I, I, my thing is you guys are talking about Capcom. One of the best licensed jobs of Capcom is what they did with the Marvel series and their fighting games, starting with X Men: Children of the Atom, Marvel Superheroes, all the way up to Marvel Two and Three. Like these. These treatments of the Marvel characters were almost better than the actual comics themselves. Like you know, like what Wolverine's voices and like you know Venom and the, the characterizations between the two players and stuff. It was really great. My favorite Marvel, Marvel superheroes because it really felt like a comic book. And like as you were fighting Infinity Gems you know, would pop up and everything like that. And the final boss was Thanos and he was really Jesus. that's really good. So they, they did those characters right. What end-bosses that were fighting you wasn't cheap? I mean, you ever played with Shale Khan and War Kahn, too? Yeah, man. all of them were bad. <laughs> uh, Baguio was probably the worst. It's all but, you know,
0: yeah, they were all bad. Yeah, uh, that was awesome, yeah. Okay. Was Swag? Yeah, swag! Yeah, yeah. So,
1: um, we have about... Ten minutes left in the panel, I would like to wrap up, but um, if we have a little bit of time to wrap up, we wrap up, we'll do another question, give away some more stuff. Um, we got some shirts and things still. Oh, So basically, Snoopy. do a little Snoopy. plug. Snoopy. So, yeah. Snoopy. Got Snoopy! I got Snoopy released in 1990, so it's relevant for the panel, unlike the GameCube game earlier. Yeah. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> Is Snoopy a good game, though? What do you think? You, know what? <laughs> you say, yeah.
3: Pro- probably not It's at least more
1: spectacular
3: though Where you can carry pizza and go like that <laughs> yeah, bro, bro. But most of those games,
1: games I was talking about They all came out in the 90s They all came out in the 90s or days So like That's really awesome yeah. Yeah, a little classic, the arcade scene was another awesome version. So, to wrap things up though, so I'm Jeffrey Wittnagan again. Um, So I have a book, The Complete NES. It's an NES collector's guide. Basically, I kept it minimalistic style, so it's easy to read. There's some check boxes if you collect the box manual and the cartridges, so it hits every aspect of collecting. It's only licensed, there's going to be a follow-up with the rest of the games missing. It would just be too big of a book for any coffee table at that point. Um, The Video Game Culture Chronicles, I'm doing a Patreon book subscription. It is based on per book, not per month. So when you back it, you get it at cost. I'm covering, I'm starting with 1990 and then I'm progressing to 91, 92. I'm covering every single game for any system, including arcades, pinball, everything that was released. So the guy that's following us over here, Eugene Jarvis, he did Smash TV. There's a Smash TV article right in here. Including NARC from the NES, was also released in 1990. So we got some aspects of every little part of gaming, no matter what you collect, I'm trying to hit it. Um, and I also did this one a little bit more artistically, so I did a little bit more graphically pleasing to the eye for this book. Um, and I do have a couple copies up for auction, it's gonna be in the Nintendo Age Room, and basically it's a silent auction. You go there, write a bid, you can get a copy. I have four copies, they're all numbered and everything and you can get a copy early, early, but before I do a real print run. And I do have books for sale. Um, I'm at the entrance to the cellar tent on the right side. Uh, Hardcovers for 70 bucks, 30 bucks for the, the paperbacks. I got a bunch of them, so you guys can go get one. I'll sign them for you. I do gold signatures for the convention, so that way if I ever see them again, I'll know, oh yeah, I was at a convention there. It's pretty cool.
2: Um, I know Martin over here. Thank you. Um, I'm back in the publishing game. We're starting something a little different. It's called Little Player Magazine. It is a magazine for 5 to 11-year-olds or older, Um, and we only cover e-rated titles. Um, There are no uh, teen or mature uh, video games in this magazine, and it's appropriate for um, younger players or older players who want to collect a, a magazine again.
1: Yeah, so to me, Little Player was a good thing. I know he took it to uh, social or Kickstarter before, and what he's doing now is he's marketing it to like schools and things like that. This is something I have a four-year-old daughter, and I'm gonna teach her how to read, and she's gonna be able to read this and not see a bunch of violence like she's gonna see in a normal current gen. Grand Theft Auto style Magazine I don't really want her Subjected to that If I can avoid it She can read something like this I know he has Amiibos in there And he's covering Things like Minecraft So it's stuff that The kids really like It's a really cool progression um, And I I really support that I'm actually going to going to do some articles. I'm going to do uh, video games then and now in, in the book starting issue 2. And I'm going to take something that has a release coming up and I'm going to do the classic version. So if there's a new Mario game coming up, I'm going to cover some of the old Mario games in there to give kids a, a retro aspect of things. Because as we know, like kids nowadays are starting to drive up our collector's market because the teenagers are getting into NES and stuff because it's really cool and they learn about it. And that's a really awesome aspect. And I like that and I want to you know, have them learn that at an earlier age. It's a pretty cool thing to me. Kyle, what do you got going on with VGBS? Like, he, Kyle does all of our editing, so he has a few episodes coming up. What do you got coming up on the
0: podcast, man? Yeah, we got about seven more episodes. Um, we're the Gremlins. We got Mario RPG. Um, we're hoping to do some kind of Zelda extravaganza, spectacular or something. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So, stay tuned. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the other side of the things is we do other podcasts. Um, it's called The Phobos Militia, and we cover all different aspects. So we did a Star Wars Episode 7 podcast. We've done a. What were some of the other ones
0: that we did? Um, we did a Jedi Outcast. One. Jedi Outcast. And just random. It's just anything that we're into, really. Uh, we also did a WWF
1: and What's Wrong with Wrestling podcast right now. <laughs> like, wrestling's getting a little crazy. Um, oh, absolutely. Like, And the thing is, is when we record, we record hours upon hours in one setting. And Kyle has to break it all out painstakingly. So, basically, like, we have a lot of recorded information going out. So, does anybody have any gaming stories? We got five minutes. Anybody that tells us a gaming story, get some swag. Come on up. And also, our magazines and books will be here, so you can come check it out after the panel until they kick us off of here, and Eugene needs to come up or whatever, come out and check out our stuff. Thanks, Tony, again. Um, I was going to ask you a question,
3: but I'm going to lead into it uh, first. Uh, I was going to ask if you guys had any uh, long-distance kind of video game stories as far as uh, how long you might have played one for an extended period of time. Uh, mine, I remember trying to piece with my friend Josh Dragon Warrior an entire night. We got about probably three quarters of the way through until the night right near the very end, where you end up getting the Flame Sword for uh, Eredric's armor, and we got right up to them. We ended up. Hitting that brick wall right at the end, it just it just totally kick you around if you weren't leveled correctly. Yeah. So uh, that's my story, I was wondering if you guys had anything similar to that. Oh yeah, I definitely got one. Stories is what we do. So oh yeah. for
1: mine, I'm going to keep it short so Kyle has one as well. So, The Legend of Zelda. Back in the day, I actually didn't own The Legend of Zelda. And I would rent it on the weekend, so when I would rent, I would only get to get one game. So my game this weekend was Legend of Zelda. So I'm playing it, and I didn't sleep for two days playing Legend of Zelda, because I didn't have a walkthrough. I was playing and exploring it just like you're meant to for the first time. So I go through, I have no sleep, I'm tired, I'm going through fighting. I finally get to Ganon, he gets revealed, and the NES starts flashing. (laughs) <laughs> and I, so, so I go I, I, I quickly power it back on goes there, the, all the saves are wiped, and so I had no save, I had to restart and by then it was turning into the morning, so I actually didn't have enough time, I had to take the game back for the weekend uh, I was so angry that I didn't play Legend of Zelda for like five years after that, until I started to play Holding to the past. I avoided Zelda 2. I was so angry about Zelda. Now that's, like, my favorite series of all time. But, like, back then, I just had this, like, I was so mad that it did that to me. It was, like, fate destroyed by progress.
0: (laughs) And, uh, with the no-death runs, uh, as far as that goes, I remember Gradius, uh, to no-death, I think I practiced that about Two hours every day uh, for a month until it was a point where I just memorized every single little point. Um, I think that's that's the big thing about those games—you have to put in the time, and uh, the rewards are, are really awesome. The only thing is, you almost never want to pick up that game again because all you've done is you play it over and over and over and over. And it's like I'm I'm spent. I'm, I'm pretty good, so yeah, that's mine.
2: This one. Uh takes us back to the days when you had to put a password in to do your game. Not Metroid, but Metal Gear. And uh, and, uh, got almost to the end of the game in one sitting, and I took the password down, and I guess I took it down wrong. They uh, switched out the old from the zero. And when I was a kid, I didn't know any better. So, I got really frustrated at the game, and I just put in any kind of, book. just random letters and numbers,
0: I ended up at the last boss. Randomly? Randomly. <laughs> that's that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and that's that's the weird thing about the password, For some games it was uppercase, lowercase, there were, there were numbers, and you had to just write it down, where nowadays you can just take a picture with your phone camera, you're good. Yeah. So, wow, yeah. nothing could change.
1: How things have progressed. So um, we're probably getting a dirty look over here from the, from the guy. We're going. We're almost going over in time. That's what we do. So we are VGBS Gaming Podcast. Thanks, Martin, for coming on. Thank you for having me. And we appreciate it, being able to come on as our expert panelist. Um, We do that all the time. We don't announce things, and then all of a sudden we have people on the podcast. That's what we do. Um, You can get us on iTunes. Uh, We're also at hagansalley.wordpress.com. I have business cards out here, so does Martin. Please check out our books if you're interested at all. Um, We appreciate it. We do everything grassroots. We're not doing anything super commercialized. So we appreciate it. Thanks very much. Thank you.